Um, I think right now, what I want to focus on are the two words that you see up here on the screen, Mary or malice. Um, I was listening to a service earlier this week, and it was a word study on the, the word malice. And the more that I began to study that word, I saw there was a lot of things that we could learn from it. And I think it would be beneficial, especially as we're in this time of year. And I want to say this too, um, as a pastor, starting in Thanksgiving and going all the way through New Year's, I find myself saying that phrase, this time of year, this time of year, this time of year. And while it is important that we should focus on the opportunities that we have this year, uh, the time for the harvest is every single day. And the things that we learn on Sunday mornings and our Sunday evening studies, Wednesday night prayer meetings, as we study the scriptures, we should not wait for the right time the, when, when everything, so to speak, the stars align and this is our opportunity. Every single day that we wake up is an opportunity, folks, to impact people for eternity. On Wednesday night, I, I did a study on the difference between security and assurance, and those two things are different, and ultimately we boiled it down to eter- uh, eternal security is a fact, and assurance is the application of that fact. It's taking the knowledge that you have and applying it, and this is the entire Christian life. And I got a lot of feedback on that message, that a message that I thought was you know, just very simple, very uh, you know, easy to understand, it impacts a lot of people because there are a lot of people that are suffering from a lack of assurance. They are not sure where they're going to go when they die. They may have already gotten saved in the past, but because of a lack of spiritual growth, they're not growing by the grace that they've been given. And these things are sad, but the scripture tells us in 2 Peter chapter 5 and verse 9 that there are people who do not grow, and as a result of that, they forget of the sins that they've been forgiven. Isn't it good that God does not forget? It's not anywhere in that verse that says God has accompanied their forgetfulness with a removal from eternal life. While it is good that we have eternal security, it is extremely sad to see the attitudes that continue on in believers. You see, we're supposed to grow up into Christian maturity, and it's a wonderful opportunity that we have to do that. But there's one sin, if we were to boil it all down to one sin that we could very easily hide from each other, that would be a guarantee root cutter, so to speak, not cutting us out of salvation, but cutting our growth tremendously, it's this word malice. Malice is a hidden sin. It's the sin, as the scripture calls it here, of badness. And the word in the Greek is just nasty. Are you ready to hear it? Kakia. If there was a dish called kakia, do you want to bring that to the potluck this afternoon? What did you bring? I brought ham. I brought turkey. I brought stuffing. What did you bring? I brought kakia. Why? Why did you bring that? You know, like, <laughs> so we could be thankful for all the other dishes. No, but it's very, it's, it's very easy to fall into this malice, and it's a hidden sin, and we're going to talk about it here in a moment. But I want to define the word Mary. Now, when you see this in the Bible, it's used normally in a eat, drink, and be merry, and it's a festive type of attitude. But the archaic definition for Mary is something I think that every single believer can walk in, and it is this word, delightful. Delightful. Other words that accompany that in the definition are bright, festive. Of course, this time of year when the Christmas lights go up and the uh, Christmas music is playing since, I mean, at this point it's September, uh, that stuff starts, you know. People start getting into an attitude. They get into a mood and think, 
They're, they're more forgiving. They're more generous. They're looking for ways to bless other people. And so as a part of this season, we think of the word Mary, and we think of Merry Christmas. We think of Mary and Bright and all these different things that accompany it. But I want to remove that for a moment and just replace it with one word, and it's this. It's joyful. Joyful. We don't have to wait until Mariah Carey defrosts to have joy. We don't have to wait until our favorite coffee places offer a certain variety of drink in order for us to say, now I can take this frown and turn it upside down and everything's great. Folks, we have eternal life. Are you here with me this morning? We have a gift that can never be taken away. When God gave us eternal life, he did not give us a gift receipt in case we wanted to return it. It was something that was offered freely and it is, it is forever that we have received this free gift of eternal life. Because of that, we can have joy. And the Bible describes it in another way. We can have hope, unlike those who do not have hope, and they weep and they mourn for the loss of individuals or the loss of things. You and I, we don't have to do that. Now look, easy preaching, hard living, but that's not an excuse. Even though our circumstances around us may not be favorable, we still are expected to apply the knowledge that the Scripture has given us. And this is what we talked about on Wednesday night. Why is it that people get saved, and then 10 years later, after they've not walked with the Lord, they forget that they put their faith in Christ, and they're raising their hand or praying a prayer again to get saved or something? Why is that? Because we're not applying the things that we should be applying. Uh, We have a little one at home now, many of you know, and I want to thank everybody for all your prayers and this, uh, this season has been very quick. I feel like the middle of November was yesterday and today was just a day ago. But we're seeing it even with our little one. The more she eats, the more she grows. Folks, two ounces used to be sufficient. Now, after the burping and the, I lay her down here and all of a sudden, that noise. I go, what? You're done. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Boy, I know over the process of time that as she continues to eat, the more she's going to grow, the more she's going to require. What a horrible parent I would be if I just limited her at two ounces for the rest of her life. Come on. Also, it would be horrible if I said, okay, if you're hungry, let's go down to my favorite place. Let's get you a number one with no pickles, American cheese, and a large Diet Coke. Surely that'll be better than two ounces. No, she's not ready for that. She's not ready for any kind of solid food. But as she grows, the application of what she needs needs to be consistent. We all understand this. All of you who have children and you've raised children, even if you have pets, you want people to grow, you've got to feed and take care of them. Why do we suddenly forget that when it comes to our spiritual growth? I think sometimes a lot of us are still being swaddled. We're still requiring the basic things when we should be growing into the grace that we've been given, we're stunted and we require more care than what should be given. Isn't it good that we have a merciful Heavenly Father that does not chasten us or punish us out of anger, but out of pure love? But folks, be careful that you do not eliminate your opportunity altogether to be beneficial, to be of service to the Lord. Not every single believer is a profitable believer. Of course, we understand that from James chapter 2. Faith without works is dead. Now, I'm not going to go over how that's been twisted into some type of works-based salvation message. But in context, James says, 
You say to people, be warmed and filled, yet you leave them outside cold and hungry. You say that you're a person of religion, you're a person of faith, but you bite against one another. You devour each other. You cause discord amongst your brethren, which is one of the things the Lord hates, sowing discord among the brethren. How is it that a person can be a believer but also act that way? They're not growing. They're walking in their flesh and they're not walking in their spirit. And as a result of that, God says the faith of that individual in respects to other people is dead. Now what a horrible thing it is when someone passes away. But we're not hauling around the body afterwards. We're not trying to keep the memory of that person alive by keeping the carcass with us. That would be that would be obscene. That, it's not that way. It's understood. When somebody dies, the body is of no use. In the same way, a believer can live in such a way that they are so carnal that they have no use by God in order to influence more people. And so they're given over to their desires. And the Lord can, and yes, He will remove you out of this life earlier than planned if you become profitless to everyone else around you. How do we get there? How how in the world does a believer find themselves in that situation? A lack of applied knowledge. This is why here at Calvary, we're going to open up the Scriptures. We're going to let the Scriptures teach and educate us. But we talked a minute ago about that word malice, and I gave you the Greek word, kakia. But let me also tell you, in a better definition here, it is the desire to see somebody injured. Not like in a physical sense, like, oh, you want to see like violence or something like that. But in a way, if I can describe it for a moment here, the best way I can think to look at the word malice and find a common understood definition today is karma. It's the idea of, oh, what goes around comes around and you're going to get yours one day. You're going to get yours and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait for you to get what you deserve. Folks, that is malice. And we're instructed several places in Scripture to put it off. It is not conducive to growth. Sadly today, much of the Christian world is mired in malice. I've heard that word karma used of believers. They look at the political sphere and they say, oh, they're going to get theirs one day. Is that the right attitude to have? I don't think it is. As a matter of fact, I know it's not. But this is where believers are today. Something happens within your family. Maybe your child does something to offend you. Or maybe a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or somebody says or does something that brings you into a point of contention. Instead of demonstrating the Christ-like approach, you default to the world's pattern. They're going to get it one day. You almost root for it, and when it happens, you celebrate it. It's not supposed to be that way, folks. Malice is a very, very dangerous sin, and here's why. I can't see it. You couldn't see it in me. I remember as a kid, when I was studying all sorts of different musical theory, I uh, was listening to The Phantom of the Opera for a while. And that was just something that was, at, at that time, it was to be regarded as a great piece of composition and literature and all of that but there's a scene in act number two called masquerade different faces on display 
And it was the idea of going to a party and you have your real face, but it's covered by a mask. You have a mask of some type of display that you want to show other people in order to deceive them from thinking it's really you. And people, especially in that time, it'd be on a stick and they'd put it on and it would be, you know, accompanied with an outfit or whatever. But it's the idea to show one way to conceal the truth. Masquerading. Malice is dangerous because it is that mask on a stick. And sometimes if we're not careful, the stick is glued to our hand. And every time we go to talk to somebody, we show them what they want to see. We show them what we want them to see. But on the inside, beyond the mask, we're rooting for their demise. Oh, they said one thing or did one thing or whatever it is, and they're going to get theirs. It's going to come around, and that's the way it should be. That is a sinful, wicked, immature position. But it's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. Because it can go on for years. Years and years and years. I read a post recently that people, when they say they leave church, right? Well, I just, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to be here anymore, whatever it is. They never tell you the real reason. But it's safe to assume it's malice. Someone said or did something that they didn't take time to resolve, but instead they just put it back on the individual and waited for that karma to come full circle. I don't think that's a biblical principle. Yes, you're going to reap what you sow. That is a guarantee. But why would we want to root against one another? Why would we want to root against the lost person. Let me explain that, what I mean by that. If we become so upset and bitter at the lost person, however will they hear the gospel? Folks, I know. I, I, you know too. The world is just, it's upside down right now. You and I are not of the world. We should not have worldly responses. What was Jesus' response to the world that hated him? He hung on a cross and died for their sins. Well, we're not going to get on the cross for one group of people because, you know, that's just crazy. Aren't you glad that there were no conditions? The one condition, if we were to say there is one, is sinner. Raise your hand if you're here this morning as a sinner. Wow, what a group we have today. <laughs> I don't even know if I should be here. Just kidding, I'm joking. It's good to have that, that, that humble dose of reality. But sadly, if we're not careful, we continue into this attitude of kakia, malice. Look at what it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You remember the book of Corinth, our, our Corinthians, right? The church there in Corinth. Lots of mature believers doing everything correctly. This is a book of encouragement. Uh, well, it is a book of encouragement, but uh, the first thing I said there is not true. There was a lot of difficulties. Regarding the Lord's Supper here in verse 8, Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness. So these two things are now tied together. Think of things in this world that are wicked, that we would want to avoid or have our children avoid. You know, malice can be partnered right up along that. but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let me ask you a question. Can you, can you say something truthful that offends somebody? Yes, yes, we can, right? 
And we understand that. We know that. Should we use it as a weapon of offense? That's the difference, folks. You can say something that is truthful the incorrect way. This is what I have against people that stand on street corners and yell and scream that people need to run into their closets and ask God to forgive them because they're wicked and sinful. Yes, while they may be wicked and sinful, is this the best way that we reach people today? Sometimes I think that Christians can get a hold of the truth and they turn it into a weapon in order to injure people instead of help them. Instead of bringing them to an, to an idea of understanding, to repentance, the change of mind, they use it as something to ostracize, to separate. Look at the, the, the four words that are used here. We'll put them into two groups. Wick, uh, malice, wickedness, instead, sincerity, and truth. You can be truthful and be kind at the same time. It's possible. Unless you have malice. Unless you're waiting for everybody to get their fair share of what they're owed. Look in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. This chapter 4 of Ephesians is fantastic. I encourage you to read it in its entirety. 31 says here, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now, I always think it's interesting when the Scripture uses a clump of words and then it uses, in a total sense, one word. I always take note of that because there's got to be something here that encompasses all these words together. When I see that with all, I understand it to be everything that was listed before can be found in this. So when we think of the word malice, not only are we thinking of looking for somebody to get what they deserve in a negative sense, we can think of bitterness which Hebrews 12 tells us springs up as a root to defile many. We can also see that word wrath and anger, clamor, evil speaking. But then we see the instruction, you've got all this going on within, you need to put them off. And there's a reason why. Look at verse 32. We're given a reason. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Don't, don't miss that, friends. The reason why is because there's a reason why we can put the malice off. You and I have been forgiven totally of all of our sin. People don't recognize this, and here's how we can understand that. Why, why, do, we, why do we know that that's true? Because people say, well, what if I do X, Y, or Z? I, yes, I put my faith in Jesus Christ today. I put my faith and trust in him. What if I go and do these particular sins? Does that remove me from which I've been placed by God? The answer is no. 
How is that true? Because of the totality of the forgiveness. When we see the word atonement in Scripture, we understand it in the blood of bulls and goats. Remember that in Hebrews chapter 10? That all of those things were a picture of the ultimate atonement? What does that word mean? It means a cover applied. Think of an atonement as an umbrella. You're walking and it's raining and you bring up the covering so that it stops you from getting wet from the rain. Okay, we understand that. The blood of bulls and goats, which was the example of the ultimate sacrifice of the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world, as John described him, those sacrifices were temporary. They had to be made year after year. It was a covering, but it was temporary. The goodness of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, is that the atonement is all-encompassing. It covers all of your sin. This is why Paul can begin a statement in Romans chapter 6 that says, where there is sin, grace does abound. Now people use that as a license to sin, but that's not the point. The point that is being made here is there is nothing that could remove you from the body of Christ once you put your faith in Him. Isn't that good news? If it's good news, so then why do we weaponize malice? Why do we hide that within us and look at people that we love through a mask but secretly desire for them to suffer? It's because we don't understand the totality of what's been given to us in our eternal life. You can go to Colossians chapter 3 now in verse 8. Another great book. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians are great books. I would encourage you to read them in one sitting. You know, read the entire book of Colossians, the, in, the entire book of Ephesians the next day. And see this, just the overarching connected themes with, within them all. But Colossians is written to a faithful church, and they needed encouragement. And so Paul is giving them this encouragement. I want to start here in verse 5. We'll get to verse 8 in a moment. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. And then he lists a bunch of different things. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You can see all those things. You can see fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence. You can see that. All of those, by the way, in a sexual sense. Covetousness, which is idolatry. You may think that people don't see this in your life, but anything that you've put in front of the Lord is something that is visible. It's st- sure, it starts in the heart, but it's manifested in the physical world. We have now in verse 6, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when you lived in them. Now he's talking to converted believers here, believers that are faithful. There, as it says in verse 1, if you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. You have a group of believers that they're walking in the truth. They're doing things the right way. They're growing up into Christian maturity. But they still struggle with these sins. And the reason why Paul says what he says in verse 7, look at it again, when you lived in them, It's because there was a time, and this is true of every single one of us here today, regardless of when you got saved, there was a time when each and every one of us walked in darkness, and that was our only option. 
This is how we can understand what it says in Romans 3. There's none that seeketh after God. There's none that do good. How is that possible when I see people doing good all around me? They're not doing good according to God's standards. You know why Jesus was rejected? Because men love darkness. Why? Because their deeds are in the dark. I want to tell you this just recently. Some of you may have seen this recently. I don't remember the context, but there was a congressional hearing that was happening on C-SPAN. By the way, you want to see good TV? Check out C-SPAN sometime. Because you're going to see some people really twist the truth. I mean, literally, they're brought with facts. And I'll, I'll tell you this story now. When the Roe v. Wade was re, uh, reversed and all of this uproar was happening in this nation, which is just such a sad thing, isn't it? It's a sad thing. Nonetheless, people were very upset. It was being weaponized as an opportunity to have violence against the Supreme Court justices. Now, there's a social media site that you probably all know about right now, not because you're on it, but because it's just the talk of the town. It's a little bluebird called Twitter. And everybody that goes on Twitter incriminates themselves in some way. Well, this one representative was, or this one individual who runs some type of organization was being brought before Congress for an address of a tweet that she had put out that was advocating for violence against the Supreme Court justices. This was not a thought. This was not an idea that we had to wait and prove it. Literally, the people who were asking the questions you see the technology we have today? We have projectors with screens and stuff. These people printed them out on giant cards, put them up on a stand. It had her name. It had the words that she used. And she literally looked at that when she was asked, did you advocate for violence against the Supreme Court justice? And she said, no. <laughs> and you're watching this and you're going, how is it? How is it? That even in the presentation of the truth, there's still a rejection of it. There's still a desire to lie. How does that happen? Because men's deeds are darkness. This is all that we know how to walk in. I think that there, there, there are three letters right now that people love to use to change the truth. You ready? M-I-S misunderstood, misapplied. I've heard people make up words because they think if I just put the M-I-S in front of it, I'm off the hook. <laughs> well, you misunderstood. That's misinformation. I've heard that misinformation. I really had to look up and see, is that a word? Misinformation? Words are being changed in their definition today. The definition for a man and a woman have been changed. It's almost like you can't tell people to go to the dictionary anymore. Anybody who thinks people that are you know, rooted in common sense are conspiracy theorists, they're doing everything they can to make you seem like that. I remember in college learning about how in the end times, the people that are going to be radical in the eyes of the world are the Christian fundamentalists. The ones who say that marriage is between one man and one woman. The ones who say that a child in the womb is exactly that, a child in the womb. The ones who advocate for the separation of church and state, the ability to worship freely. All these different things are going to come under attack. Why is that? Because as it says there in verse 7, when ye lived in them, this is where the world lives, in darkness, in separation. 
Let me ask you a question. Look at verse 5. Is there fornication in the world? Is there uncleanness? Is there inordinate affection? Folks, we have people that are serving, serving in the president's cabinet that are advocating their sexual lives publicly. It's a part of their identity, a reason why they're hired. You want to talk about inordinate affection. It abounds. Why is that? Because this is all the world knows. So then understanding that, we see why verse 5 says in the beginning, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. This is the idea of slice off. Remove. Verse 8 now. But now ye also put off all these. Now look at these again. Remember what it said in Ephesians 4? Clamor, evil speaking, anger, wrath, with all malice. Look what it says here. But now ye also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice. We already know what that means. Looking for someone to be injured physically or emotionally as a part of their punishment. But then there's some other phrases here too. Blasphemy. Do you know what the word blasphemy means? It's that, that's more of an archaic word. We hear it today still, but there's another word that is the exact same definition that we understand today. You ready for it? Slander. Slander. Have, have any of you been slandered before? It's a very uh, hurtful position to be in because there's literally an attempt to mar your testimony, your character. You know it's not true. The person who's slandering you knows that it's not true, but there's a whole world that buys it at wholesale price. That, that can get you going. That can make you angry. Paul says to put those things off and wraps it with verse 8, filthy communication out of your mouth, verse 9, lie not one to another. Why? What's the culmination of all this here? Seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. So we have just been painted a picture here by Paul, and it's this vengeful, fornicating, inordinate affection individual that is driven by malice. Who is that? That's you. That's me in our flesh. Why would we want to live that way and try to grow at the same time? Look what it says in Titus chapter 3, in verse 3. Verse 3 of Titus 3, page 1284. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy hateful, and hating one another. And there's the end of the book, right? That's it. That's where he closes it. It's all done. Folks, I, I've gone on and on and on about malice here. And there's a point that why we're doing this, because verse 4 exists. But after that, what is that? All of that former stuff, the disobedience, the foolishness, the deception, the serving divers' lusts and pleasures, the malice, the envy, the hating as, as a description of who we are and the hating as a description of what we do, 
But after all that, what? The kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man, I love this word, appeared. What in the world are we talking about here? We're talking about Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. We all know the songs, we know the stories, we know all of it. We rarely apply it. The very people that anger us, that that cause us to feel wrath, we eliminate them from seeing Jesus. (coughs) If we're not careful with the way that we think about them, the way that we treat them. Because what has appeared to us? Kindness and love of God. Verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, Guess what's going to happen on December 31st at uh, 11.59.59? One second will go by. It'll be January 1st, 2023, 12 o'clock and one second and two seconds and three seconds. And people will think, in those few seconds, I have changed all my ways. (laughs) They will literally go from a fat man to a triathlon athlete right? They're going to go from someone that lives off the carbs to someone who hates the carbs, right? And they wake up and LA Fitness and EOS Fitness and Planet Fitness, they're already running ads, by the way. I think it's so funny when you get a little Caesar's pizza, there's a Planet Fitness sticker right there. You go, You're, you got the wrong group of people because I just open up the box. You know, put it on the inside maybe. After the pie is gone, a big you should join you know? <clears throat> Maybe I have a career in advertising. I'm not sure. But it's like all of a sudden, in three seconds, the world thinks, I'm going to be a totally different person. You know what the sad fact is? That the suicide rates go up between March and May. You know why that is? Because we realize that the things that we planned on doing, we couldn't do. And people are stuck. They have nowhere to look but back to themselves, and they hate themselves. This is why verse 5 is so important. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. There's nothing within you that can change those things about you. You know what we need? We need forgiveness. We need kindness. We need love. We need Jesus. I wonder, do we have him? He's there. But according to His mercy, He saved us. I want to talk about something here. I know it'll be a sensitive topic. But it took the world by surprise when a very likable individual smiled all the time, seemed to have everything going well on the outside, took his life. I don't remember the gentleman's name. I I think Boss was his last name. But it really shocked the world. It did. I read, I read it and I thought, you never know what's going on with an individual. Sadly, I have been with families. I've sat next to people who have lost somebody to suicide. It's a hard thing. There are so many questions that will never be answered. It is the biggest question mark that hovers over that family for years and years to come. It's a hard thing. Why does it happen? 
Well, I was reading articles, and you know what, folks? It, that, that's one of the things you just you don't know. But we can kind of understand where somebody may be. I was reading articles and reading Facebook posts, and, and sometimes it's, it's just shocking to me that we don't want to look at the truth of things. I said I know that this may be a hard thing to discuss, but I want to share with you what I think is the main reason why those things happen. Because people look to themselves. They cut off family. They cut off friends. They cut off the Lord. I'm not saying that's every case. But we just had an individual who literally had everything. If we could switch roles with the possessions that he had, I think a lot of your problems would be solved. You would describe yourself as a happy person. You would describe yourself as somebody who's blessed. He was in a position where he felt like there was no other way out except out. May I tell you here that suicide is not an illness? It's not something that grabs a hold of random people. This is something that every single one of us can struggle with. The reason is because there is nothing good within us. When you see verse 5 in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, what you should see is the, the, the shining light that has been shown to us in Jesus Christ. Why would, I don't know why we bottle that up until December 1st when the lights are going up and the music is changing. This is every single day. We don't have to live in that life that we lived before. Why? Because we have a new one. Thanks to Jesus Christ. Amen? Read that verse again. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. Not in three seconds change or in a, or in a, in a faulty promise. But according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the faithful say, uh, saying, and these things that I, uh, I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. This is why it should be merry and not malice. We have been delivered from these things. And, and the author here so very clearly says, I want you to affirm these things. You which have believed in God, be careful to maintain good works. Period. You cannot get around that. Why? Because that's how you reach people. That's how God works through you. But if you've got a hidden issue of the heart, if you're angry at the world and the people in the world, whatever is going to possess you to soul win? How can you come to Wednesday night prayer meeting when you hate the people in the prayer meeting? How can you ever grow? It eats you up. It's like a cancer that's undiagnosed. Look in 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. <coughs> Some great verses here as an encouragement to put off that malice, the hidden and unknown sin of the heart. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes. Now this, 
you guys know. This hits home for me right now. I am enjoying I am enjoying having this little girl in our home so much. It's still not real for me to say our daughter, my daughter. You know, I think it's going to take time because of the adoption process. It'll just be it'll be difficult until we get to that point to really think, you know, because there's still a part of me that's like remembering all the things that we've been through up until this point. But one of my favorite things happened last night. I'm watching the Bills-Dolphin game. I'm falling asleep. Like, I'm totally, I've been ready to be a dad. You know what I'm saying? The guy that sits in front of the TV and is totally knocked out, and as soon as somebody (laughs) grabs the remote, I'm up and I'm saying, I was watching that, you know? (laughs) But I'm sitting there and I'm watching, you know, just got done watching a little bit of the World Cup, whatever, just relaxing, preparing for tonight, or for this morning. And I had her laying on me, and it was right around 9 o'clock. Now, in the Martinez household, there are some times on the clock that are very important. 9, 12, 3, and 6. Okay, those times are important because it's time for Remy to eat. And she started cooing, you know, moving around and all that. But this time, I don't know what it was. She was just really hungry. I don't know what it was. I had her laying right here, and she whipped around. She smacked me in the face with her big old head, right? And I'm like, oh, that, that's nice. I'm awake now. I'm watching the game now. And all of a sudden, her little mouth, she starts grabbing my cheek, grabbing up here. Thank goodness she didn't grab my nose because this thing is big enough. She might have thought maybe this could be a supply. I don't know. But she's moving all around, and it was just so, I loved it. I was laughing It was wonderful. It was just one of those moments where you're like, it was nice. That's all I can describe it as. And of course, Kyla comes. She's like, all right. I said, she's ready. She's trying to eat me. (laughs) I think that I could be her her, uh, ability for sustenance. But when I remembered that moment, and I remember what the scripture says here in verse 2, there's a word here I want you to see. As newborn babes desire desire. She doesn't know much right now, but she knows what she needs. She's looking for it. She was looking for it. Now, I didn't have it, but it didn't stop her from looking for it. And there's sometimes when it's six in the morning, soon as, it's, as, soon, as soon as she is removed from that bassinet, the alarm bells are going off. I want to eat now, now, I don't want to get my diaper changed now. And it's like, please, give me a second. And then as soon as, it's like as soon as you move the bottles, she's like, you know, she's ready. There's other times where you got to wake her up, you know. And then she gets up and she eventually eats. But the word here is desire. Is your, do you have a desire or do you feel like you have an obligation? Oh, I have to do this. I have to read my Bible. Do you desire it like a newborn baby desires the milk that they need? Look at the phrasing here in this verse. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word. He connects these things together in a way that we'll all understand. This is why we lay off malice and being a hypocrite and all these different things. And we desire something else. The Word of God. 
that ye may, what's it say? Another great word, grow. Grow how? Thereby. What's thereby referring to? The milk of the word. You don't grow because you meditate. You don't grow because you're being nicer than you were in 2024. Well, that hasn't happened yet. You don't grow because you're coming to church more. You don't grow because you're serving in a ministry now. You grow by applying the word. You know, we're concerned all of a sudden when we're feeding Remy and then she's, and, and a couple of weeks ago, she was spitting up a couple of feedings and we knew like that's not a good thing. She's going to need more milk later. I don't, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility for you to think if you just eat the word, you just consume it, but then you go right back into that hidden sin of malice, you're just spitting up what you've read. It's not profiting you. You have to move on from those things. Verse 3, if so be, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Can I ask for another raise of hands? Has the Lord been gracious to you today? It should, it's everybody. Is, it, is that ever going to change? Will there be a day when he is not good? Will there be a day when he is not present? Is there a day when he is unfaithful? Let God worry about the vengeance. He already said it's his. You worry about reaching people and growing. Get big and strong. Make a difference in people's lives. We're going to close in 1 John 3. Let's go over there for a moment. Shameless plug, I hope you can be here on Sunday nights or at least watch when that series is done. I know Trent is doing a good job getting the sermon audio links up on the website. We don't use Facebook video anymore because it's just so hard to edit. So instead we post the link to sermon audio and he does it in one post. You got Sunday morning Bible school, the Sunday morning service and the Sunday evening service. We're going through 1 John in the evening and it's a, it's a good book. It's a great book. It's, it's the weight room book. You know, you got to really apply these things. But John is writing here. I just want to look at a couple verses, starting in verse 11, 1 John 3, 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. He's talking to believers here, folks. The lost man is not in scope in this book. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God. How do we see it? How is it made known? Because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. This could also be translated as for each other. For each other. Life is hard enough. Life is hard enough. Why would we want to make it more difficult by harboring this hidden sin of malice? 
seeking to see our brother fall and then rushing to their aid as if we never wanted it. That's not love. That's not abiding in eternal life. This verse and passage has nothing to do with staying saved. It's talking about living in your new life. You want to abide in death? Walk in your flesh. You want to abide in eternal life? Walk in the Spirit. He's culminating to something here in verse 17 and 18. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? It's a straight question. If you hate your brother, where is the love of God in you? It's not there. It's not there. In verse 18, as a pastor, as a Bible student who I had to, I'm, I'm learning these lessons. Verse 18 is the fastball down the middle that somebody hits out of the park. Look what it says here in verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word. Don't let people know your love by the things that you say only. Oh, how many, how many people are saying something today? Everybody. Everybody is saying something. Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And all God's people said, Amen. Let me see it. Let the lost person see it. Not read it on a social media post. Not hear it in some way that is superficial. Go to them in deed and in truth. And then for those who are in the body, let us not injure ourselves. My mother died of leukemia. It's a very serious cancer. And it's where your body attacks itself. The white blood cells continue to abound more and more and more, attack the healthy body. That's not, that's not how my mother's body was supposed to work. But cancer also is not a part of the original creation. It's a part of sin. And she's gone now. She's with the Lord. But I don't want to be the next cancer in the church. I don't want to be the one that harbors such wickedness and separation that it's hard for the church to grow and I'm the gatekeeper. I don't want to be that way. I don't want you to be that way. God doesn't want you to be that way. You remember what we saw in 1 Peter 2 too? As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. It's so important that you're growing thereby. last thing I want you to see here is in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 17. I, I just like, with messages like this, I like to remind you that I'm not speaking to anybody specifically, especially when we're talking about malice. I mean, we all struggle with this. If we're, if we're very honest with ourselves, we all struggle with this sin. And I'm not up here because I read an internal memo, okay? 
I'm not leaking something to the, you know, Tampa Times today. That's not my point. I want to help you. Being a pastor, this can be something that I struggle with, and it has been something I've struggled with. There are things that I can learn and apply. And if it feels like I'm being too direct this morning, please, it's not me, it's the Word of God. But there is a temptation here that we could fall into if we're not careful, especially this time of year. Verse 17, Yea, therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things, beware, lest ye also, being led away with error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. It always, you know, just kind of makes me sad when I, peep, when, when I see people that were faithful. They're not faithful anymore. They just walked away, you know, and their life is fine and everything is good. And I know that God will deal with them accordingly. Not in a negative way, but in a way that will be beneficial to them. But it, it's always just, how did that happen? How did that happen? How did we walk, or how, how did they stop walking with the Lord? They didn't protect. This verse says it right here. Being led away with the error of the wicked. What's the error of the wicked? What is it not? (laughs) What is the error of the wicked? It's anything that's against the truth of God's word. What were the first things that Satan uttered in the garden? Yea, hath God said. How many different translations are there of the Bible? (laughs) How many different opinions? I listened to a guy that said, if God has not personally revealed something to you that he hasn't revealed to anybody else, you're not growing. Folks, I got a scripture that says that no scriptures of private interpretation. How do people not know that? Because they're led away with error. It's kind of like sometimes as believers, we want to like taste test everything without reading the label. All right, today we've got barbecue sauce for you. We have some soy sauce. We're going to use some ketchup. This is strychnine, um, and here's salt and pepper. Let's try one of these one by one. You get to the strychnine, and you're like, okay, I'm ready. (laughs) No, you should stay away from that. That's not a good thing. That's not like barbecue sauce. But people aren't vetting anything. Verse 18 is the encouragement. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Not be glory to your pastor or your favorite YouTube preacher or whoever it might be. Be glory to God. You keep him first, all those things will fall in line. I have another passage I want to look at, but we're out of time. There's so much that we can learn from God's word. Would you close your Bibles and as we have this closing thought here? You know, in a minute we're going to go to the back and I hope that you stay with us. And I know things are going on. It's a hectic time of year. There's a lot of schedules to keep and all that. When you go back there today and you're in line, you know, maybe you want to grab your phone. Maybe you want to kind of just think to yourself and and not really share with somebody. Talk to somebody today. See how people are doing. There's one thing I loved growing up here at Calvary, and it was those third Sunday dinners. And I'm praying we can get back to that. But let me tell you, there was just a, a thing about it. It was just so lively. I met my wife at a Wednesday night dinner. Folks, I do not like spaghetti. It's not a thing, okay? 
And God bless Susan Holboth. I, I know she was doing what she could, but it was like spaghetti every night. But all of a sudden, it was spaghetti, salad, and that girl from Alonzo High School. She'll be there too. But it was, it, it was the fellowship, and this church was just so unique to me growing up. I, I came, next year I will have been here for 20 years. I came here when I was 13 years old. And I just saw things that I, I never really saw before. I saw the body of Christ loving one another. And then, as time goes on, you see the, you see the, the flesh of just people and things. And it, it's all-consuming. And you go, how? Why? <laughs> well, I'm not going to be that way. I'm going to stand tall, and you know they're going to get what they deserve. Yeah. Careful. 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 But when we go back there to fellowship today, spend time with people. Maybe sit with the group that you didn't sit with before. Ask people what you can pray about. Ask them what their favorite Christmas song is. Maybe what's your least favorite one? I have a least favorite one. It's we wish you a Merry Christmas. Okay? I just don't know what it is. You know what my favorite one is? Meli Kalikimaka. I don't know why. That's just so catchy. My wife hates it. So we have to like, you know, go back and forth. Sometimes when her favorite one comes on, I'm like, all right. I get a little piece of paper and tally it, right? One for her. Then Meli Kalikimaka. Hey, turn it up. Wait. One for me. No, just kidding. Talk with people. Fellowship with one another. Spend time with one another. We're all suffering something. We're all going through something difficult. It's not my job to pry that out of you, but can we encourage one another today with the time that we have? I, I, I pray that you can do that. And I hope you're here on Wednesday night. I'm glad that it's Trent's favorite service. I love it. Being here, the candlelight service, it's wonderful. One of these years, we're going to get back to when it was at midnight. That was just so cool. Loved that. But when we come here on Wednesday night, we're going to have prayer requests, and we're going to have some, some special music, and we'll have the cookie exchange. Be here. Even if you've got to make some sacrifices to be here, encourage one another. Bring your neighbor. Bring a friend, a family member. You got kids? Bring the kids. We'll find something for them to do. We bought a bounce house for them. They love that thing. You know, talk about set it, forget it. Get a bounce house. <laughs> Where are the kids? It's been six hours. They're just... Everything is still good. <laughs> well, well, we can leave that running for another six hours. <laughs> if you're here today and maybe you've never understood how you can have eternal life, I, I want you to see and understand that. I have a wallet here that illustrates sin. And I use this all the time, and it's an important illustration because we all have it. This is going to represent sin. This separates us from God. If this hand were to represent you and me, this will be God. We're separated from God because of sin. God, He loves us, hates the sin because of that separation. We want to be in heaven when we die. We want to spend eternity with Jesus. The only way that can be accomplished is you have to be 100% perfect. And I don't mean from one moment on the entire span of your life. 
We see Lordship Salvation comments all the time. And we see, we see people say, I'm doing my best. I'm trying my best. The very fact that you say you have to try is proof that you're not good enough. The only thing a Lordship Salvationist could really say is, I've always been my best. I am my best. That's what's required to get to heaven. Perfect. No one can do that. We all fall short. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God in a place called hell. It's real. It's literal. People are going today to that separation. I often wonder that individual who took his life, such a prominent figure in society, where is he today? So it's a horrible thought, you know? It's the truth. You die without a payment for this sin, you'll be separated from God forever. No amount of good deeds could ever save you. I'll let this schedule here for the college represent good deeds. This is not how it works. God, here's my sin, here's my good deeds, and he tenders it. Like, okay, we will give you righteousness for your good deeds. That's not how it works. So what's the payment for sin? We ought to know if we want to have it paid, someone has to die. Not of good works, lest any man should boast. This hand represents Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. And 2,000 years ago, what he did is illustrated in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, that's you, that's me, that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever, again, you or me. Oh, but what about, no, 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 whosoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What in the world does that mean? Whosoever puts their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ is passed from death unto life. They'll never be brought into condemnation again. That's John 3.16 and John 5.24. So when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're forgiven of all your sin. You're declared righteous in that moment. You're given a brand new nature. You are eternally secured. You're given the Holy Spirit who lead, guides, and directs you in all truth. Jesus Christ is your advocate between your Father, God. Isn't that wonderful? That's the gift that we should be wrapping up for people. You see how malice gets in the way of that gift? If you're here today and you don't know where you're going to go when you die, Right now, the best you know how. Will you put your faith in Jesus Christ? You don't have to pray a prayer. You don't have to have a thought or a, a, you know emotional feeling connected with it. Just right now, the best you know how. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. That what he did on the cross, your trusting, was the payment for your sin. And the moment that you do, you are given the free gift of everlasting life. It's done. Done. Well, do I have to come back next week? Not really. If you want to grow, yeah. But if you want to be saved, you put your faith in Him right now and you're saved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heads are bowed, please, and eyes are closed. If you put your faith in Christ today, would you just let me know by slipping up your hand? Raising your hand doesn't save you, it just lets me know. God bless you, I see you. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Fantastic. Anyone at all before we close? Again, raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know that, Pastor, that makes sense, and I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ.
I see you. To those who, who indicated they put their faith in Christ, you're, you are God's child forever. There's nothing that will ever separate you from Him. It's time to grow now, and I would encourage you to keep coming here to Calvary. And if you're out of state, come meet with me and we'll find some way to get you under good teaching. But God is your Father now. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Regardless of how you act and behave, He's with you. Everyone else in the room, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Are we, we struggling with malice? The temperature of our nation is very hot right now. The divisions in the body of Christ also abound. We know these are all end times things. But are we governed by the things that we were delivered from? I pray that instead of looking for people to get karma, we offer them forgiveness. And we apply the word just as a newborn baby desires that milk. Let us desire the milk of the word that we may grow. If so be that we have tasted that the Lord is gracious and he is gracious. Amen. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word. I pray for the food and fellowship in the back. For the message tonight and for the Awana program as well. In Jesus' name we pray.